Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. How about as a child? Was there a brand that you remember having an impact when you were a boy? Uh, sure. Uh, Singapore Airlines. Uh, I used to fly. My parents lived in Indonesia, and my school was in my boarding school was in India. So I would fly from when I was you know, 11 years old or so uh, on Singapore Airlines from Surabaya to Jakarta, Jakarta to Singapore, Singapore to Madras. And so the Singapore Airlines stewards were my my annual family uh, every time I'd go back and forth. And so it was a very personal relationship with that brand. And what's hilarious to me is now it's been 25 years, almost 30 years. That brand hasn't changed a whit. I could take an ad unit from 30 years ago and place it today and it would look identical. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. Today, my guest on the CMO podcast is Vinu Vijay, the Chief Marketing Officer of H&R Block, a 65-year-old tax preparation and financial services company with revenue of $3.2 billion, 10,000 retail tax offices, and get this, about 2,700 full-time employees and more than 70,000 seasonal employees. Vinu is in a market like many of yours that is undergoing its own disruptive forces. Vinu grew up in India, came to the States for college and his MBA, and has worked for FedEx, Bank of America, Ally Financial Services, and TD Bank. He actually left the career track and went and reflected on the beach in Los Angeles for about a year before coming back to H&R Block. Here is my very thoughtful conversation with Vinu. Vinu, welcome to the CMO Podcast. I am so happy to be talking with you today. And the first question is, you live and work in Kansas City. Did you watch the Super Bowl? Uh, Of course we did. Uh, It was absolutely awesome. And in fact, yesterday was uh, was our our celebration uh, parade. And it actually went right down Grand Street, which is just a block away from our, our headquarters here. Uh, down to uh, down to Union Station where we had the celebration event. Uh, it was just amazing. There was like a million people out on the street uh, cheering on uh, the players and the coaches. It was just amazing. There's nothing like a championship team to elevate a city. <laughs> for sure, yeah. for sure. We had a chance as a leadership team to go to the uh, uh, to uh, to uh, the the uh, AFC final game, uh, and uh, and so we got to see it as as a group. And uh, winning together, it was just the most awesome feeling. And, I, and we had a couple of other folks there, and they said, well, the thing I remember about Vino the most is I got to high-five him at the game, <laughs> which is just an amazing thing to, uh, to be able to do together. So. Well, it's wonderful. It's a great Super Bowl, by the way. And I was rooting for the Chiefs. I'm really happy with the outcome. So congratulations to the whole Thank city. Thank you. <laughs> now, from football to tax season. Right, we are in the middle of tax season. I assume that's a good thing for H and R Block. I want to know: is that a good or bad thing for you? Uh, I, I think it's an awesome thing. It's an awesome thing for us because there's nothing like the intensity of the moment coming upon you and getting everyone galvanized towards a singular outcome. So all the things that maybe seemed important in June sort of go away, and you get into that place where you say, "Well, we've got now." three months, a little less, left in the season. What are we going to do, not day after tomorrow, maybe even not tomorrow, but in the next hour, 
to move the business forward. And that, that kind of intensity is exciting. It's fun to be around. You go from a few thousand employees to like, what, 70 or 80,000 employees in tax season. I mean, wow, that's, what is that like? How do you lead in that environment? Uh, it, it's, it, you, you hit on something that's like super important for our business. Uh, it is that we are rolling up 70,000 plus people every year to prepare them for the tax season, coaching them on what's going on from a tax perspective, what's going on in terms of the products and services we sell, the improvements we've made in the experience and what they should expect, what we're talking to our clients about so that when they walk into the offices or they're going to our site, what they're going to be looking for, what questions they're going to be asking. All of that happens in a very compressed time frame. And the only way that that succeeds is because of a combination of the knowledge and intensity that we bring and our tax pros bring to the equation combined with a real genuine care for the outcome. Our tax pros care like nobody. They care because they're part of the community. You know, you'll see them in the grocery store and you know they're your tax pro. And so they care like, you, they're, they're, like they're your doctor. They know a lot about you. Uh, they want to make the best outcome for you. And that feeling of care that they bring to the conversation makes that training just super powerful. How do, you, how do you cultivate that sense of care? Does it come from the people themselves? I mean, how do you keep that alive in your culture year after? You're 65 years old this year, right, this company? Uh, 60 plus, yeah. 60 plus. Uh, yeah, I think you're, you're hitting on, I think one of the important points is we are a company that started as a small business, as an entrepreneurial business. Tell us about the name, H&R Block. Uh, it's it's uh, Henry Block, it's the founder. Um, and, uh, and his brother. And, uh, and um, they started this company in Kansas City originally to do uh, small business tax help. And they started to get a lot of friends and family and other clients coming in and saying, hey, can you help me with my personal taxes? Uh, and so they started to do that and it started to grow and grow and grow uh, uh, to the point now where we have uh, you know, 22 million clients uh, across the country uh, and in international locations as well. Um, that's a lot of people that we serve uh, with a very important moment in their lives. Uh, and oftentimes that moment happens, uh, has sort of ancillary benefits from, from that moment in terms of financial services support and other things. So it's, uh, it's really been important for the company and for the city. And to your point about how do we get all of these people, all of our tax pros, all of our employees, uh, to have that level of enthusiasm and passion, it starts from that idea that this is a company that has been so purpose-driven for so long, way before purpose, being purpose-driven was a thing, right? Um, and so when we say our purpose, which is to help and inspire confidence in clients and communities everywhere, it doesn't sound like something that we wrote on a piece of paper. It sounds and in fact is very true to who we've been forever. And so if we, if we sort of continue to live along that purpose, it, uh, uh, we, we sort of have this virtuous cycle of reinforcing that behavior with our employees and with ourselves as executives. What can I, we're on the purpose topic now, which you know, I like to get into. So what can we learn from you? Uh, you know, you've been at this a long time. You were st founded by brothers. Um, how do you keep it? What rituals, what practices do you do to keep the purpose relevant, alive? How do you measure it? How do you know you're delivering it? What, what, what could we learn from you? Yeah, uh, it's a super question. Um, and I, I, I wish there were sort of some sort of three or four things that I can immediately point to and say, hey, this is, these are the levers. Um, I think there are some that are, uh, that are important, but I think it is a combination of things. A, we have to live it. You know, we have to demonstrate it ourselves in our choices, in the way that we communicate, um, in, in the commitments we make to the way that the products and services show up. And so we're very conscious about that. And so if I take a, a very simple example within our, our digital product, it's called price preview. Price preview, the idea of price preview is when you do your taxes, you tend not to know how much you're gonna pay till you're already done. And the problem with that model is once you're done, you don't wanna go back and say, you know what, I'm gonna do it again somewhere else. So if the price is particularly high or higher than you imagined, you sort of accept it. Unhappily so, but you accept it. So we know that problem. So we created both on the assisted side and on our digital side, on the digital side, something called price preview. Uh, and the idea is just like you're buying something at any other retail store, 
it tells you what's in your, what's in your basket. And so you know exactly what you're consuming and therefore what you will pay uh, as you're going through the process. And that very simple change came from the idea within the team that, hey, if we're about helping and inspiring confidence in our clients, that's a point of pain for our clients. Why shouldn't we fix it? And so we did. So it's A, it's just living up to the behaviors. The second I would say is, and I was at this, con you know, we have annual conventions with our, our, our tax pro leaders, uh, our office leaders, our franchise partners. And this time we had it uh, together. It was called One Team. And it was just, I mean, I've, this is my second one I've been to, and it's just an amazing moment. And that's a moment where we have to show our best selves because we are telling all of these leaders across the country, both leaders that work for the company as well as our partner franchises, why we're about, what we're about, and how we're going to win. And when we're making that argument, if we aren't completely clear in ourselves and in the way that we show that, it shows. And, and so I'm really proud of how the team comes together and does that. And it's my highlight of the year because I walk away from that completely energized knowing we have put everything into this. And we're very clear on what it takes. We may not always get it, but we are super clear on the game we're playing. Very impressive. Anything you do in metrics or measurements to make sure your purpose is front and center? Yeah, it's a, a great question. We've done a couple of things that are new this year that I'll just allude to, um, but we haven't nailed the metric part of that side. So the tra traditional metrics that we use are still there. So we measure client sat, we measure various uh, employee sat measures. So those are there. But the part that we want to add around the purpose that we've really pushed on this year is we launched something called Make Every Block Better. Uh, and the idea behind Make Every Block Better is not just that, we, you know, because we're in 10,000 offices around the country, we're in neighborhoods everywhere, and our employees are very tied to the neighborhoods everywhere. How can we make that matter more than just the tax moment? And so the idea behind Make Every Block Better is, okay, what's our neighborhood like? And if we can create more uh, entrepreneurship and caring and, 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 uh, and engagement with our neighborhoods, then we're going to create a more virtuous cycle of uh, improvement in that neighborhood, reduce loneliness, and a few other things that we have associated with it. That is an effort that we've launched now two months ago. We're really proud of our commitment there, and we have a lot of thoughts that we have put against it. I see several metrics coming out of that. I don't know what they are yet, but we're on the leading edge of that. It's a wonderful idea. You can be creative with that forever, right? For sure. Uh, for sure. I mean, uh, one, of the, one of the stats that hit us was 30% of Americans today um, are, um, don't know their neighbor, which is kind of sad. Um, you know, because after all, we are social beings. One of the books I, I, I just uh, finished reading about a, a month ago uh, by David Brooks called the social, the social Animal. And it's just making that point that you know, we are social beings and that's what makes us come alive. And if we can't help be social beings in our communities, then that's a fail. So it really did hit us as something that we can do something about, we care about. So let's do it. And that's that we sort of jumped in and we'll figure it out as we go along. It's tax season. We get lots of advice in the media about taxes. You're, you probably know more about taxes and financial planning and people than most. So what's an insight? You know, you're a marketer. What's an insight that might surprise our listeners about people and taxes and financial planning? Hmm. <laughs> I'm not sure it would necessarily surprise them. <laughs> I mean, the things that we know about ourselves is we are very bad at planning. We're very bad at financial planning. We don't like making budgets. And we generally would rather have it be something that we don't think about but once a year. And the reality of taxes is that the best outcomes come from the planning side of it, not from the doing side of it. And so, so much of what we try and encourage in the tax conversation is prepare your taxes for next year and think about your taxes for next year by doing some sort of worksheet plan when you finish your taxes and go into the next year, because that's when you can really create value in your tax outcome. Uh, and so that's what we press, that's what our offices press. Uh, but I, I say that knowing that that's probably not a big surprise. It's a truth that we haven't chosen to embrace yet. No, but it's very simple, right? And it's, uh, and it's based on uh, human behavior. Right, right, right. right. 
So we're we're getting into talking about your company, and we're going to come back to that. But I want to I want to step back a little bit and talk a, a bit more about you and your path to H and R Block. So you were born and raised in India, and then came to the U.S. for college at Syracuse. What did you learn? I mean, it was a big transition in your life. I learned two things very quickly. The first is, while I spoke English, I did not speak American. It's a big difference. It's a giant difference, and it's not. It's not. Uh, and I'm not talking about accent. I'm talking about context of words, context of community. And as a marketer, and probably a lot of your listeners are marketers, you know that so much of it is understanding the nuance of the language, not necessarily the words themselves. And that was my big opener. I, I went to an international boarding school, so I imagined I knew, you know, any kind of culture because I had been exposed to lots of different cultures in the school. But, uh, but you just don't understand it till you show up that, oh my gosh, I don't understand what people are talking about. Um, so that was the, the first learning. Uh, the second is, uh, you know, when my, when my parents asked me when I, when I went back uh, for summer holiday, you know, what, what do I think about the States? I said, there's just so much freedom. And that's the second thing you take away. And I, at the time, I think I said too much freedom. <laughs> <laughs> but now I, I sort of reflect on it and I say, yeah, probably, probably plenty. And what I mean by that is you are not defined by your past. You're not defined by your current skill set. I really think America gives you a chance to define yourself in any way you want to. And if you have the wherewithal to pursue it, then you can and you will very well get there. And that kind of freedom from any expectations other than your own is something I found very different uh, from, uh, from my past. So those are the two big things that I... I would take away from there. No, it's a beautiful statement about America, and I think that has always been our specialness since the founding. Right. That's true. It's absolutely true. And I think that's the thing that makes us unique. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website, and then the results come in, and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So... What do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual-first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. So you, you went to Syracuse, great university, and you chose advertising and marketing as your major. What about that as an 18 or 19-year-old kid attracted you? So in, when I was in school in India, I, uh, I was, uh, I, you know, the things I did tended to be more uh, uh, public. Uh, I, was, I, I, was a, I was a class president. I was very involved in community activities. And so I sort of felt naturally that something in the PR world would be right for me. So I actually joined uh, uh, the Newhouse School in PR. Uh, but after about six months, I realized I don't know anything about the States. It's very hard for me to go figure out how to do a, um, uh, you know, a media plan for the, um, uh, the stadium in Boston that where baseball is played when I don't know what baseball is. I've never <laughs> been to Boston. And I don't know what a stadium looks like. I'm not going to get it done. <laughs> and so I actually pivoted to advertising and marketing from PR, which I'm actually very grateful for. I'm looking at my PR leader over there, and, and uh, thank goodness I'm not doing her job. She's way better at it than me. So you went to Syracuse, then you got your MBA at Illinois, and you, you spent seven years at FedEx, and then financial services for about 20 years. Bank of America, Ally, TD Bank, now H&R Block for about two years. A amazing career path. Looking at that, is there anything you would have done differently in that career path? Uh... It's a great question. I love the question. I don't know if I've ever thought of it in those terms. Um, I would probably say uh, if I were to do it all over again, uh, I would have been more willing to take chances faster. I think it's very easy to choose the path that is known than the path that is unknown, at least for me. And if I reflect on it, you know, I've had a good career. I've moved in lots of places and I've done lots of things. Um, I think there's something to the 
to the unknown that I find fascinating and I wish I had more often than not jumped. I'll give you a couple of examples where I did, and you know, it doesn't always work out, <laughs> you know, and it's just fine, right? Um, I, I started my career at, at FedEx as a pure direct market. This was the days when relational databases had just shown up, Oracle was the big name, and you know, that was, all we were doing was direct marketing uh, in, the, in the early iterations of it. Uh, and, uh, and so I really grew up as a, as a performance marketer before the days of digital performance, but in that, in that genre. Uh, and when I got a chance to, to move to Ally uh, from the B of A world, where I was again running .com and performance optimization on the site, uh, it was a chance to build a new brand from nothing. And I'd never done something like that before. Uh, but I thought, well, that's a great opportunity to do something completely different from what I'm accustomed to and really take on something that I don't know if I can do or not. Uh, and, and I loved it. I loved the fact that I had the courage to do it. Uh, and then we built Ally and Ally Bank, and it's been, it's been you know, fantastic. And there's an awesome team there that, that I've left behind that I'm super proud of. Uh, and so you sort of look at that and you say, I wish I had done more of that. You know, and so that probably might be my only reflection, and I'm, I'm saying that reflecting now, so you're getting my raw reflection. As you think about your rich career path, would Ally be the most defining career experience up to now? Um, I would probably put Ally and TD at the same level. Um, I think Ally was fantastic, and we had a, a just a tremendous uh, uh, experience there building something from nothing. Um, I think in TD, where I felt like, you know, we really created something that was uh, game-changing is I was able to take that thinking that we brought to Ally, which was that a brand and a purpose-driven brand can matter in such material ways that you cannot measure. Um, and we brought that thinking to TD, and we took what was a pretty old-school brand that had Regis and Kelly as their spokespeople, and we said why don't we reimagine what, what consumers see in this brand by sort of putting ourselves into that brand's eye, uh, consumer's eyes. And, and I literally walked around New York and I went into Bank of America, into Chase, into TD Bank. And what I saw when I went into TD that was different from the others was that at TD, it seemed more human. And there were things that defined it, like there was a cup full of pens and you could take a pen and you could write down what you needed. And if I compare that to, I'll choose Chase since I didn't work there, uh, but it would be true of everyone else. Uh, the pen, the one pen, had a chain attached to the wall or to the desk. At the other banks, you have these literally metal ropes, metal bars that allowed you to sort of manage the line. At TD, it's just white space. There's nothing. You just walk in and choose to figure it out for yourself. And I thought, well, that defines the company. And so we created this idea of the human bank. And then the, the concept behind it was, it's time to bank human again. That's why at TD Bank, you're always, it, we're always open later than others. And yes, the chains, pens, pens are chain free or whatever else it may be. And that galvanized the company towards an idea that even today, you know, the human bank is what drives that brand. And I'm super proud of that because that was an existing brand that we transformed, uh, which an ally was a brand that we created from nothing. So I'd say a combination of those two. Financial services is such an interesting business, right? It's such an area of high stress for people. And we talked about earlier that you know people sometimes don't plan right for their taxes, and the planning begins after the tax season. You know, do you think there's a a breakthrough coming to make people feel more literate, confident, at ease with their financial planning? I mean, what what is your thought on this? I mean, what's your advice to people listening who may be struggling with this? Uh, absolutely, yes. Uh, I think that we are now more accustomed as people to engaging in our digital device to get what I would call micro insights. You just want to understand some little thing. We are great consumers of those micro insights. You know, you tell me to input a bunch of information and we're not going to do it, but we're great consumers of micro insights. And I think we're reaching a point in financial services and in other businesses like tax, where the value that we create is, are our insights, a combination of expertise and care, presented in a way that is useful and utility to me, I will engage with it absolutely. Most people will, because I think we see the power of that information. 
Um, and so I think we're getting to that point where these things will evolve. The user interfaces will materially evolve from being products that are being presented to being information I can consume. And, and as soon as that shift happens and that information consumption becomes monetizable, I think the utility of it becomes huge for all of us. Um, you know, for the first time in a long time, I noticed my, my wife now tells me stuff about our, our, our money that I'm like, wow, how did you know that? Uh, because she's now following it in a way that I'm not following. And so she's getting all these insights into our financial situation that I never had because I still have the classic way of looking at, let me look at my checking account, let me look at my savings account, let me look at my investments. And really it's a combination of all of these things um, that, that bring together the real genuine insights. And in fact, taxes is one place where you have all that information. Uh, and so how does that start to help you make better decisions and help you have stronger insights about the choices you're making? That I think is super powerful. So you're optimistic that the next generation is going to be more at ease, more comfortable, more literate about their financial planning. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think one of the things that uh, I would add to that is I think the, the next generation is going to be much more knowledgeable and interested in how they're choosing to spend their money. What gives them joy and happiness in spending? So in other words, we have always looked at money from my generation as, okay, you, it's, it's used as utility to buy something. And so you're looking at the value of that something and whether you should get it at a high price, a low price. In other words, it's all about, can I get the best value or pricing on that element? But I think it's increasingly gonna be about how am I spending my time, my mental energy, my consumption of information, and my money in ways that are useful to me. And that is the change I think we're gonna really see. And I think companies like ours have to find a way to service that need in really interesting and new ways. And that's what actually excites me in a very deep way about our company and the possibilities we have. That raises so many questions about how happiness will evolve, how, you know, what's our measure of productivity? It's probably not just GDP, it's other things. So all these things are really new frontiers. And I know there's interesting work being done on all these fronts, but it's really going to be fun to watch this evolve. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's, uh, it's awesome. And you're right. There are people nibbling on this idea in many sort of micro ways. And I think this is going to be a really interesting explosion of, of awesome things. Okay. Now I want to get into a little bit more detail about your role as chief marketing officer at H&R Block. You're less than two years into your role. And one really interesting aspect is that your CEO, your boss, Jeff Jones, is the former CMO of Target Corporation and was CMO at Uber for a brief time. He knows marketing. He knows branding. So how has that affected your work? What's your relationship like with your CEO? Uh, what kinds of things do you work on with him? When do you bring him into discussions? What, you know, what, what can we learn from that dynamic? Yeah, I, I mean... I've been fortunate that I've had very sharp CEOs that I've worked for. And Jeff is absolutely a super sharp CEO. And, and you and I were talking before the program. He's, he's a very decent human being, uh, a real uh, uh, somebody that uh, I admire as a human first and then as an executive second. Um, I, uh, I, I would frame the question slightly differently because the, what I think he brings to the company more so than any knowledge of marketing is his leadership and his communication and his way of engaging people uh, and engaging in communities. And I think that's the real strength that I see we are benefiting from so much. Uh, the fact that he knows a ton about marketing and, uh, and could do my job, I'm sure, better than I can uh, is, is interesting but not relevant <laughs> in the day-to-day -day life that we lead. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, the impact that he's having on not only our company and our teams, but on, in the community that we're in is just phenomenal. I would like you to describe marketing at H&R Block. Our, our listeners are endlessly interested about what you do, what your team does, what, what is marketing to other companies. So what, are the, what is the work? What are the capabilities that are important? You know, how do you, how do you stay ahead in this crazy dynamic market? I mean, what's, tell, me what, tell me what marketing is at H&R Block. Yeah. So, so, so I'll, just, I'll start with just organizationally what we have, but then where, where my real my head is. So organizationally what we have is you have all marketing activities. So media, CRM, television, we have an in-house creative services team. So what you would expect in a classic marketing shop. Um, 
And then we also have client experience. So we have all the designers and end-to-end -end experience work for not only our site, but also all of our products. Um, and then we've got our corporate communications, which is again, relatively normal. Um, uh, we've got brand research, voice of customer, that sort of thing. Uh, and then finally, um, financial products. So, so that's the unusual one in our world. I have a background there, so we have that in it. So we, you know, we're the third largest issuer of, Emerald, of, uh, of debit cards in the country. We're a fairly substantial player in financial services and the potential given that we service so many clients is, is huge. Uh, and so that's another area that, uh, that I have. But just to sort of answer your question of where I think marketing is headed and what we're trying to sort of lean into, and this is not going to be a surprise to most of your listeners since they're in this world, I presume, or a lot of the marketers who are listening. You know, we've gone from, you know, our first job was we wanted to have absolute excellence in performance marketing. And I'd say that's about 25% of our importance. It's super important because that's our, that's like, for me, it's business as usual. Like you cannot succeed if you are not confident that your performance marketing is at the world-class level. But that's not going to help us win all the way. That's just going to get us 25% of the way. The next level is we've got to be deeply conscious of every brand interaction. And that brand interaction, whether it is on the call, whether it is on, uh, in the way that the advertising shows up, whether it is in the way that you and I are talking now and you see the green screen behind us where we've got our logo, uh, every interaction matters. Uh, and, uh, and so we want that our, the clarity of our brand purpose and the way that that manifests in every interaction to be world-class. And that's about 25% of it. And then the last 50% for me is our products and services have to be genuinely better. Uh, and so that's why client experience is such an important part of what we're doing uh, because marketing of the future is every touch point. And today we have uh, 12 million face-to-face -face conversations uh, a year with clients. It's a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah. We have 15 billion impressions with clients every year. It's a lot. And by the way, these all happen in three and a half months. Really, so I say every year, but they're all happening in a very compressed amount of time. And so when we think about the impact of all of those touch points, if I can make the experience just that much better, the power of that in being, a, being an attractive brand for our clients and for the market as a whole is exponentially improvement, is an exponential improvement to performance marketing. So I love our strength in performance marketing and we have moved the bar on it a lot. I love our focus on brand and we have to keep going further on that. I want us to be world-class at experience and I think that's where the game change is gonna be for us. What have you learned, Vanu, at your company about the drivers of a fabulous customer experience? I mean, that, that would transcend even your category. Uh, you cannot beat, and I used to make, I, used to, I first used to think it was a joke and then I realized the more I looked into it, it's not, it's the real thing. You cannot beat a genuine greeting, cannot beat a genuine greeting. Uh, and so uh, when, when you meet someone for the first time, are you interested? Are you engaged? Are you, are you showing care? Are you demonstrating care? That, that is, I think, the most important touch point we can have. And if that doesn't come across fully, then we missed a major opportunity that I cannot overcome with an ad campaign. That's such a rich insight. How do you, how do you train for that and and enable it to still happen in a natural way that's that's consistent with that person's personality? We have introverts, extroverts. Uh, culture. Uh, I'm an introvert. Uh, you probably know Jeff is Jeff is an introvert. Um, yes, he is, yeah. So this isn't about you know introverts. Doesn't mean you cannot have genuine care in your heart. And if you have genuine and care your heart, you don't have to fake it. It shows up. <laughs> so in ways that you don't even understand. Uh, and so uh, what, I, what we try and preach is have the care. And fortunately for us, a lot of our professionals have that just naturally. Uh, and so, um, so nurturing that and allowing that to show up uh, is what I think a lot of the work is about. Now, you know, 8 million of our, actually almost 9 million of our clients are digital only. But that doesn't take our that doesn't take us off the hook, even in the digital only experience, that you can manifest that that uh, care 
Because even a digital-only customer might want to text you a question, might call the call center, and there's a human connection in both of those. They might go through the experience, and are they feeling it as a, as a dispassionate product, or are they feeling the emotion behind the people who built it? Uh, and, and we want to really go in for that. So you're pioneering a high-touch, digital-only experience where your personality as a company comes through. A fair yeah, summary? Well said. <laughs> I'll, I'll steal that line. I didn't say that, but I love it. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a real, that's an interesting new capability, though, that I think your company and many others will need to get good at. Yeah, yeah. Because that will be increasingly the interface of a customer experience. It even is today, but this will only increase. Right. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. Two years as CMO, what are you happy about? What are you proud of? And what's not gone so well that you would want to double down on? Uh, hmm. Our listeners love hearing about failures and how you come back, <laughs> right? Well, I'll tell you the failure before I got here, then maybe I'll lean into a little bit of, you know, I have failures every day, so that's not hard to identify them. But the, um, the, the job I had before this, uh, when I was the CMO at TD, the last couple of years, I, I pitched the idea of a fintech, a digital-only, uh, mobile-only bank that would leverage the platform and extend it across the rest of the geography. And we built an organization and we, we, we did it. Uh, but we ended up not scaling it because when you're an $8 billion company, you know, whatever you can get from a fintech just doesn't stack up. Um, uh, and, uh, and so we ended up abandoning it and I, and I left and I, and I decided it was time to retire. And so I, I literally resigned and went to California, lived on the beach for oh a year plus, yeah, uh, and, um, and just thought about what my contribution needs to be in the time I've got. Uh, and and it's, in that, it's in that moment that I sort of came to clarity that what I love more than anything else, what I love more than anything else is winning as a group. Winning as a group gives me immense joy. And, and so sitting alone in Los Angeles in my beach house was not accomplishing that goal. Uh, and, uh, and so that was what brought me back into the workforce. And so when I saw the H&R Block opportunity for me, what it was and what it is, is a chance to be transformative in an industry that, and in a community that is craving it, that has every opportunity for it. And the only thing that might stop us is our own ambition and willingness to try and go there. Um, and so that's, that's been my focus as I've come into the job. And in that journey, there have been moments of pain and, and non-pain about whether, we're, you know, whether I'm helping move that journey along or not. Uh, I would say when I first got here, I suffered from what a lot of new people might, might have, which is I came in thinking I knew everything. I've been a CMO before. I understand how did this is done. I've built a fintech brand before. I understand how that's done. Um, I can make a difference in six months. And the honest answer is I can't and I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> very clear, very clear. <laughs> because... Nothing works, and if I go back to my first principles, nothing works, and it's not any fun to work if it isn't done as a team. You know, if the winning doesn't happen as a team, it's just not that enjoyable. Uh, and frankly, it doesn't really work that well. So, so I really recalibrated re myself to, if this is going to happen, I have to embrace and champion team. My colleagues, my team, my partners, uh, and if we do that well, and if we embrace that partnership well, then we can tackle the big questions. And, uh, and so that's been my personal transformation, and there's obviously journeys in those things, 
but I'm really proud of the progress we've made, not only as an organization in terms of what we've served the customer, but what we've done together as a group. Uh, and uh, and that's, that's, that's what I'm here for. I want to go back to that uh, pause you took in your career, the, the month or the year or so that you took in California. How did you come to the insight that, you know, that winning as a group is what drives you? Because that's a kind of a revelation. It's a self-awareness step you took. How, how, what happened in that year to make you come around to that? And, and that really was the catalyst for your choice to go to H&R Block. I mean, the biggest thing was I had a lot of time to reflect. I read a lot. I, I, you know, I would get up in the morning, I'd work out, and then I basically would have the day to think, think and read. And I did it. I thought and read every day <laughs> for a while. Uh, and I reflected on my career. I reflected on what my moments of joy were in my career, where I was most happy with what had happened, and where I was the most unhappy with what had happened. And it was in that sort of reflection that I started to see the pattern. I was super proud of our work at Ally. That happened as a team. I was super proud of my time at, uh, uh, at FedEx when we did transformative work leading uh, relational database marketing. I, I, and that happened as a team. In fact, I was just back uh, in Memphis now three months ago, we had a reunion of all the guys that, and gals who worked together back then at FedEx coming together, and there was maybe 60, 70 of us that all flew back to Memphis, and we got together and spent the weekend together. The CEO of FedEx came down and said hi as well because he was part of that group. It was a blast, and it reminded me again how important those relationships were. In fact, that was my best takeaway from FedEx, is the relationships. My best man is someone I know from FedEx. Uh, people I've worked with most of my careers are from FedEx. And so that kind of relationship ma matters so much. And so when I looked back and I looked at it, that was the thread that I was most proud of and most passionate about. And so I decided, well, let me lean into that. I love that. So There's so many lessons in that. You know, we, I, I, I made a similar kind of career transition when I left Procter & Gamble, and I, I did a lot of reflective thinking about when am I happiest, when I'm at my best, what kind of life do I want to have, uh, what relationships are most important. And that's, that's so gratifying when you make that explicit and you act on it, which is what you're doing. Uh, you're, you're spot on. I mean, I, I wish it for everyone. I do. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm so glad to hear that you went through that journey as well. And, and, and uh, I think it grounds, it grounds people. I agree with that. Well, good for you and good for H&R Block. You, you know, it seems like you both made great decisions. Thank you. Yeah, I, I hope so. Ask Jeff when he talks to you next time. Okay, I, I will. <laughs> so is, uh, you, you know, you said in your startup, you, 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 you probably should have listened more, right? And not assume things. Anything else you've learned in coming back into industry with a new company as you started up in the first two years? Yeah, the, a level of maturity, again, uh, you know, like, you know, marketing is a, is a tough gig. I mean, we have to accept that. Marketing is a tough gig because you are sort of responsible for everything and yet control maybe 80% of the things or maybe less. Uh, it's also oftentimes the, the transformational role. It's the role that people are looking to to make material change. Um, there's also a lot of lack of understanding of what a marketer does, you know, and, and as it's gotten more sophisticated, that lack, that understanding has gotten more and more divergent. Um, and so there is that, I think, I think what I, uh, when I, you know, so those things are true here and everywhere. Right? That's not, that's not, that's a universal truth. Um, I think the thing that changes is how you respond to it or how I've responded to it. How I've responded to it is much more maybe Zen, <laughs> mm -hmm. maybe an understanding that that is, that is the being that is not something I need to change or want to change. What I want to focus on is the outcomes that we can do together. Um, you know, championing what an organization should be or could be and making sure everyone understands it is inside baseball. You know, the customer doesn't care. <laughs> and so, so that's the part that I've been able to be a little bit more 
uh, nuanced about than when I was in my previous roles. Benu, the last section of this podcast is uh, in many ways my favorite because I tend to ask you know my guests a wide range of questions about life and 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 you know and leading and uh, so I want to end with that and I think because of your background, the career you've had, this will be very very interesting and helpful. So, what's a brand that you would not want to live without today? Uh, I love Netflix. Can't live without Netflix. I think it's awesome. Uh, in fact, I was just chatting with my CFO about the story of Netflix rise. So it, maybe it's fresh in my brain. Um, but yeah, I think it's, uh, uh, we stopped having cable. Now it's been almost three years. Uh, and I, so I'm, I'm purely Netflix and, um, and then rabbit ears. What are you watching these days on Netflix? Um, so, uh, I watch all the shows from the past that are now reviving on Netflix, just a few seasons late. <laughs> so, so I'll watch The Good Place, big fan. I haven't seen the new stuff yet, but I've seen some of the old stuff. Um, uh, I, uh, yeah, that's what comes to mind right now. Mm -hmm. And what about now that we're on media, what, what are you listening to these days that's interesting? Are you a podcast person, a music person? So NPR is on in the house all yeah. the time. We have we have uh, Sonos around the house, and so pretty much it's going on all the time. And if it's not NPR, it's music. Uh, and uh, and and we have a pretty eclectic. My wife and I will listen to lots of things, and so it's a combination of those th those two that are constantly on. Uh, I also do do listen to podcasts on in the car and uh, uh, and a little bit at the house. Um, so um, so that's another. Um, I've started with you know the classics like uh, like. Uh, like TED, TED speaks speeches and things like that, where I'm trying to learn something. But I'm starting now to expand my aperture on the podcast world to things that are just more fun and interesting and entertaining, and not just about you know learning something. That's good. I'm I'm enjoying Throughline, which is a relatively new one from NPR. It takes a it takes a current issue and goes back to the origin of it, and 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 looks at it through history. So I'd recommend that. And, and I'm listening to a lot. I'm listening to Pivot with Scott Galloway and Kara Swisher. I just think they're just wonderful together, and their perspective on technology and the issues of our day is is provocative and funny. And and I think I feel smarter every time I listen to it. I love both those suggestions. Thank you for those. What are you most proud of in your career and in your life? Uh, I am super proud of the people I feel like I've had a made a difference in. Uh, at work and beyond, uh, I I take enormous energy in uh, in what I can do that might help somebody uh, in whatever way I can help them, and if it ends up um, you know if it ends up that they uh, have some material uh, change in their life, uh, I just I you know I'm on cloud nine. Um, so 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 I'm I'm pretty proud of moments like that when and there have been few and far between, but when they've happened, I've been super thrilled. You seem like you're a guy that stays pretty healthy, creative, fresh, relevant. Any learning for our listeners about rituals that you have, practices, habits that enable enable that in our very busy lives? Yeah, uh, I, I will tell you the habits I aspire to. I will also tell you I'm not as consistent as I need to be in my habits. Um, I, I, uh, I like like most CMOs and other executives. I I, I love to exercise in some fashion. Um, so I, I, I used to be very big into triathlons. Now I, I'm more into cycling because I can't run as much as I could in the past. Um, and I play, uh, play lots of sports. So, um, you'll, you'll see me at the playing tennis or playing, uh, there's a sport here called paddle, which is very popular here. Ah, so I'm a, I'm a paddle aficionado now. Um, so, so something like that almost every day, I'll do something, uh, at least six days out of seven, most weeks I'll do something. Uh, I walk my dogs. We have three dogs, and I'll walk them every day uh, for an hour when I get back from work. So that gives me, you know, at least some moment of peace where I'm just on my own and just walking the dogs. We have a beautiful park near where I live, and I'll just go around that park. Uh, uh, takes me about an hour. Uh, I love that ritual. And then the other thing I would say is on Saturdays and Sundays, I like to cook, and so I. I <laughs> If there's a ritual I have, and some of you who have started to do this, I'm, I'm into baking bread now, mm. and that is a that's a discipline like having another child, <laughs> and so I'm really into that. Um, 
my suggestion for folks, if there was one, is I've been a reader since I was super young, and I just get inspiration from so many things I've read, uh, and uh, it just opens me up to more conscious thinking about something. Uh, whereas when I'm watching television, I tend to just, you know, uh, veg out from it. Um, and so uh, I think reading is is a way more intentional way for me uh, of uh, of uh, learning. What's a recent book you've read that you would recommend? Uh, one of my favorites of the last few years is called The Gene uh, by Siddhartha Mukherjee. Uh, it's about our genes. Uh, he wrote a book earlier called The Emperor of All Maladies, which is very popular uh, right. about yep. cancer. Um, I found the gene to be just fascinating. It's just a fascinating way of thinking about uh, all of us and, uh, and how at the end of the day we're molecules, but molecules with intention, and that intention comes from genes. <laughs> and uh, I just found it to be a fascinating book. Last question. Who else would you like to listen to in the CMO podcast? Who would be really, really interesting for you? I would love to hear someone who's a CMO outside of the US. I think it'd be really interesting to see if the kinds of things that they think about and are challenged with are similar to ours. Like pick a CMO in China. I would love to get a sense of, are they organized the same way? Do they have the same sort of day-to-day -day challenges? Is the job even the same? <laughs> I don't know. It's, well, we, that's on our plan. And we, oh, we, we've, got, we have, we've gotten a good mix of international companies and, and a diverse mix of people, but we need to do some more outside the U.S., so we agree with that. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's, a, it's such a powerful – I went to visit Hire in China a few years ago, and they have a really interesting view of the organizational model of the future. And just spending a day with them, you know, why are they doing what they're doing? How are they organized? You know, what, uh, what have they learned? What have the failures been? What have the successes been? What are the principles? It's, 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 it's really just takes your mind to a very different place. So I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, you know, I think everyone who should have an international experience, you know, we, we believed when I was a PNG, a senior leader had to live outside their home country. It was a, it was a prerequisite because it just shifts your thinking. Right, right. It challenges your assumptions. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And I, I sometimes feel like now I'm, I'm very America-centric, so I need to get more perspective. So thank you for that. I'll look forward to that podcast. We'll let you know. We'll, we'll, we'll make sure you listen to that one. Vinu, this has been wonderful. A fabulous journey. Uh, very inspiring. Uh, I, uh, I hope, let's, let's, do some, let's play some tennis sometime. Oh, fantastic. In, in, Cincinnati, in Cincinnati or Kansas City. Let's get, a, let's get a little tennis match going. Sounds great. Uh, Jim, it's an honor to talk to you, and thank you for this uh, very considered conversation. I love how um, thoughtful you were in your questions. Thank you. Have a good tax season. <laughs> for sure. Right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye now. That was my conversation with Vinu Vijay. This was such a reflective, thoughtful, and pensive conversation. I'm still processing it. But what I really loved when I asked Vinu what really drives an amazing customer experience because this guy and his team helped 22 million customers a year. He said a very simple thing. It comes down to a genuine greeting. That is the beginning of an awesome customer experience. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, Leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.